Texas talking oh. What was that that you said? Texas talking oh. Gonna hoop upside your head Texas talking Tell me who can you trust When Texas guys Hi there, I'm David Brown, host of Public Radio's Texas Standard. We're just hijacking the opening here to thank all our friends at the Texas Tribune for their state-of-the-art coverage of the recently signy died and everything that led up to it, and for their collaboration on a radio special. Perhaps you've heard about it. Guns, Grass, Oil, and Gas, deconstructing the 84th legislative session. It's on public radio stations statewide on June 10th, and if you miss it, well, you can download it. But in the meantime, let's cut to the real deal. We now return you to your regularly scheduled Tribcast and your host, Emily Ramshaw. Thank you. This is Emily Ramshaw here with the Tribcast for the second week of June. I'm joined by reporter Matthew Watkins. Hello. Reporter Alana Rocha. Hello. And reporter Patrick Svitek. Good morning. You might notice we have uh, we don't have the usual suspects today. There's no Evan and no Ross. Uh, those slackers are, you know... On their summer vacations, and Evan may be off raising money somewhere, <laughs> which is what he's normally doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to kick off by talking a little bit about, about last week and Rick Perry's announcement. Um, Patrick and Alana, you both were up there in Dallas for it. Talk us through what what the tone was, how it differed, I know, Alana, from, from the 2012 campaign. Um, give us your, your take of how it went. Yeah, from 2011, August 2011, when he got in in Charleston, he was going to be the saving grace, the answer, because no one, the Republican field hadn't settled on one. And this was very different now. It was all about second chances and giving, you know, Rick Perry a second look. And, and people seemed open to it. They were, especially being here in Texas, they were very, you know, receiving of him. And of course, he surrounded himself with people, you know, the supporters. But, um, you know, in Iowa, it was similar, but... You know, there they know that the candidates will be back several times over, and Rick Perry's already been there several times, so they're keeping their options you open. Know, he's starting in a, in a completely different position than he did in 2011, but I thought that the event itself last week was anything but humble and modest. I mean, it was still this kind of very muscular, um, super patriotic event. Muscular. <laughs> he had I his mean, entrance music. <laughs> exactly. Oh, yeah. He had his country right. rap song that he came out that, to. That was different, that is, yes. That is, <laughs> going to hit iTunes soon, or if not yet, if not already. Wait, watch um, the music video. It is really, um, it's it's trashy yeah. and great. It's on iTunes, I yeah. think, already. Oh, wow, He's promoting okay. it. Um, yeah. so. Behind times. Um, but yeah, I mean, you had huge American flag draped in the background. You had the C-130 uh, cargo plane behind him. He was surrounded by all these military heroes. Um, so, you know, despite all the talk of Rick Perry being more humble and modest this time around, this was, this was an event that did anything but signal that. It was still, I think, a very kind of bold... Um, statement as far as presidential announcements go. And as far as Iowa, some people took away just that it was so hot and that he was sweating so much. They're like, did they not (laughs) give that a thought? You know, Texas in the summer. This was the one in Texas. In Addison, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, the hangar and... Yeah, I know. The, the, like, you know, Navy SEAL guys who were, like, flanking him were, like, (laughs) soaked in sweat, looked kind of miserable. There was even, like, a service dog with its, like, tongue lolling out, you know, behind him. So it looked like um, quite a scene. I think also one thing that I noticed as someone who hasn't been covering events, you know, throughout Iowa and all the mm-hmm. early states was just such an emphasis on military, on mm-hmm. veterans. You know, that seems to be different from uh, uh, four years ago, uh, you know, bringing out some of maybe some of the most famous 
veterans since 9-11, you know, mm-hmm. kind of on his team, on his stage, uh, kind of a different tack uh, from, from yeah. 2012. It, I'd say it's a su- successful rollout for just that reason. He didn't get knocked off message from, you know, uh, starting with the Dallas trip all the way to South Carolina. I mean, there were no side issues where he, you know, got caught up in some headline or something. Largely the focus was on the veterans and, and the military theme throughout the whole weekend. And that's really all you could ask for for a presidential rollout is to have that theme pretty much be dominant throughout the rollout. Well, I think it's, yeah, I mean, it's fair to say that this is a much deeper uh, Republican field than it was the last time around, particularly at this point. And, you know, the military stuff is something that really differentiates Perry. Mm-hmm. He's the only candidate, right, with, you know, a, a serious military background. Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham, I guess, also, now too. Yeah. Who, Lindsey Graham making headlines for his conver- his remarks about Caitlyn Jenner, mm-hmm. uh, right. you know, being very positive about well, yeah. welcoming her to the party. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, Perry has, has dominated headlines for his military background, which I think is exactly what he wants to be doing right now and what he's playing up in a big way. Well, and it oh. continued in, in Iowa, just with that first event, benefiting the Puppy Jake Foundation that trains service dogs for veterans for free. Um, you know, but talking to a lot of the bikers who were riding with Perry, you know, asking if they were in fact supporting him for president. Again, they were all keeping their options open and not pledging allegiance like the ones on the stage with him were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it also seems to me uh, if he can get those those veterans, the the Latrell brothers, uh, uh, Taya Kyle, um, out on the campaign trail with him. It seems like a good draw. You know, when you're in these states where there's ten different candidates, there's all these different rallies. You know, that might be a good way to get some Republican voters who maybe, you know, think they know about Rick Perry to, to come out to an event and, and give him a second right. chance. Right. An additional draw from just like watching a candidate, you know, on a, yeah. a stump, basically. You get to shake some other hands, too. Well, some young guys told me they came out just to see Taya Kyle. Yeah. So, and she said, <laughs> well, she, she is good looking. She is. But she told me in Addison that she would not be on the campaign trail, that she's a mother first, and she was going to go to Iowa, but then she wouldn't be much on the campaign trail. Well, Iowa counts as the campaign trail. Absolutely. Well, well, tell us a little bit about what the tone was in Iowa. I mean, are people asking him at all about the indictment or what? What's the sort of subject matter out on the stump? Not a lot of media veils. I mean, he did, you know, talk to the networks in in both Addison and Iowa. But, um, you know, the indictment, I don't believe, really came up in those interviews. And again, you know, he didn't make mention of it in his stump speeches. So, I mean, you know, the Saturday's event, the second event was the first one where he was, you know, all of them or seven of them, rather, were up there appealing to the crowd and just gauging by audience reaction. Perry was up first. He did well. Uh, Scott Walker second. Uh, Carly Fiorina really energized the crowd. And um, but then, you know, Lindsey Graham, I think, fell flat. And then you had Ben Carson and just a whole slew of them. I mean, they're just one after the other. And I think as far as standing out in early states go, um, I think at least based on what I saw, I was back here in Austin watching it, you know, at that that roast and ride on Saturday was, you know, it sounds like, you know, national media kind of focused on on Scott Walker, you know, continuing his kind of dominance in Iowa. But I think the runner up at that event was Perry just because he he stood out. I mean, everyone else just kind of showed up at that event, did their stump speech and walked away. Mm -hmm. You know, he rolled in on on, on his own motorcycle or part part of his own motorcycle, I guess. And he was surrounded by, you know, these these military heroes. And so um, you have like a million of these cattle calls, seems like every weekend now. And so every candidate is looking for a way um, to walk away from one of those cattle calls, just, just looking like a little different than the other guy. Mm-hmm. And so I think that it helps when he, you know, rolls up with a bunch of veterans, you know, on a motorcycle of his own. One, he's been there a lot. Yeah. Like yeah. Matt Strawn, too. Yeah. The former GOP chair was like, you know, if I'm going to dinner, I expect to see Rick Perry there. He hasn't so. been spending a lot of time there. It's funny. You, you mentioned the indictment and how it really hasn't come up, you know, and it's interesting 
you know, when that first happened in the beginning and he, he came out and kind of had his rally when he was going to uh, uh, be, was it to be arraigned? I can't remember exactly what, when he showed up at the courthouse, you know, he made, yeah. he made his t-shirt and everything like that, you know, it almost looked like he was going to make this, try to turn this into a positive where, you know, he's, he's a conservative under attack by, by liberal Austin and things like that. But that seems to have completely disappeared, right? I mean, maybe because he sees it as a liability, it hasn't gone away as quickly as he'd like to. But but now it kind of seems like he does not want that to be on people's minds at all. Yeah, I mean, then I hope and I'm sure he's hoping that it's going to get you know knocked out sometime in the next few weeks here. So that he, this isn't something that he's worried about going into this. Um, obviously, it's a liability. I mean, he has seemed on the attack more recently. You know, he hadn't been talking about Hillary Clinton that much. She was in Texas talking about voter ID and some other things. And, and he took sort of a stronger um, approach to her than I've heard before. We're going to hear a little sound of that. I, I don't know who she's playing to, but she's not playing to the people of Texas. And I don't think she's playing to the Americans that believe that the sanctity of the vote is really important and you need to have a photo ID to go vote. It's that simple. The people of Texas wanted it. And, uh, you know, if we're, whichever state Hillary Clinton considers to be her home what, state, what about her she argument? goes home and she argues there not to have it. So is that a, a different Rick Perry than, you know, we've heard in, in recent weeks out on the trail? I don't know. It sounded a little more aggressive than what he's been saying about Hillary Clinton in the past. He's been pretty kind of, um, I don't want to say restrained compared to some of the other candidates. But, um, you know, he, he picks his fights with her pretty carefully at this point. I mean, it's still very early on. Um, this was a natural thing, I think, for him to respond to. She came to his, you know, his home state his state and called him out by name, I believe, in that speech. Um, and that was, you know, this is the voter ID law that he signed. Um, and so I think it was a natural response. It didn't strike me as too too shocking, just mm-hmm. given all those those factors. Did you hear much of him talking about her, you know, on the road in Iowa? Or is, is he really focused on himself at this point? No, not in Iowa that much. I mean, again, in some media veils, but on in the stump speech, no. I mean, he just subtly knocked the field that he was sharing the stage with, saying that, you know, these young men and women coming up here, uh, knocking their experience level uh, inadvertently. Uh, you know, I'm privileged to share that with, and but it's, you know, it's about doing, not saying, and yeah. whatnot. Yeah. I understand why he's keeping the focus on himself and reintroducing himself to voters at this point, but you talk to people in, in Iowa and New Hampshire and in South Carolina, voters, and they say, we want the, the Republican candidates to come here and throw us a lot of red meat on Hillary Clinton. That's why someone like Carly Fiorina right now is, I, mean, I know she's not polling high, but she's getting a lot of rave reviews in the early states because she has such a willingness to go after Hillary right, Clinton. Right, exactly. All right, well, let's check in with our other uh, Texas presidential candidate, Ted Cruz, who made, uh, he wouldn't say it's rare, a rare appearance on the border, but uh, he hasn't, we've written before about he, how he hasn't been out of the border that much. Patrick, you were down there with him. Where was he and what was he up to? Sure, so he had a kind of a day-long trip uh, to the, the Rio Grande Valley, and um, yesterday he first attended a, a briefing with border law enforcement officials. Um, in the McAllen area. And then he held a news conference afterward and spoke with reporters. And then later in the evening, this was kind of what the trip was, I think, originally built around. We had a fundraiser also in the McAllen area. And, um, you know, based on the conversations with attendees, you know, probably about at least 100 people showed up, which they said was pretty good turnout. I mean, this is obviously uh, Hidalgo County is, you know, a solidly blue county. Yeah, and a as the headline blue. today said, I mean, this is the Valley of Democrats, <laughs> exactly, right? I mean, yeah. you know, and, where, who, it, this just seems like a totally unusual place to be seeking financial support. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, by his own admission, he is, I mean, mo- perhaps more so than other candidates right now, he's aggressively focusing on fundraising, um, fundraising on 
daily, if not week, you know, weekly basis. And so, um, if the money is there, you know, and they could pull together an event like this, I'm sure he did not hesitate to, to fly down there. So, who are the benefactors down there? Um, well, right now, the, the big name is a doctor named uh, Lawrence Gelman. Um, and he organized this, and he is a former kind of conservative radio personality in that region. Um, he's an anesthesiologist. Is he with Doctors Hospital at Renaissance? He is, yes. He was a founding member of it, a former executive. And very, so that's the big hospital that, you know, has exactly. a, a whole bunch of, like, major Democratic donors. That's sort of an interesting... Sure, exactly. But it's, you know, it's interesting. I spoke to several attendees as they were walking out, and they said Cruz seemed to definitely tailor his remarks to all the doctors in the room. It was mm-hmm. apparently a crowd filled with medical professionals. Professionals. An anti-Obamacare. Yeah, he exactly. played up the appeal yeah, because Obamacare. these these doctors yeah. own these physician-owned hospitals have kind of been at war with the federal government ever since the or throughout the implementation of the Affordable Care Act. And so it sounds like it was a smart play on his part, um, talking up you know his his vow to repeal every word of of Obamacare in a room full of doctors who are pretty fed up with it. But didn't your story talk about how the message earlier in the day was not that as far sure. as he was yeah. playing to his audience? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, this is what politicians do. I don't think right. it, was, it wasn't so much a gotcha moment. It's just an, an interesting look at what presidential campaigning entails, you know, we pointedly asked a lot of attendees, you know, did he bring up border po- border security, immigration policy, which he's obviously very outspoken about, and they said no. Um, uh, he didn't volunteer and didn't come up in the Q&A section, which surprised some of them, given the location and, and just how outspoken he is on Right. I mean, and did we get issues. any details about what his visit was like earlier in the day or if anything he got briefed on? Um, yeah. Well, he spoke with reporters about what he got briefed on, and he said that, you know, he, he got, I think, what is kind of the routine... <laughs> Yeah. You know, border briefing for <laughs> yeah. politician who drops in for a day. Yeah. Um, it's not so, yet secure. <laughs> right. You know, apprehensions are down, but there's right. still more manpower needed. I mean, we wrote in our story, he kind of broadly echoed Governor uh, Greg Abbott's plan, you know, which is uh, add more manpower to the border. And then once you accomplish that, pull back the, the National Guard. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And the Valley seems to be, I mean, there's other GOP candidates that are going to make trips down there soon. Mm-hmm. It's funny that that's now a... A hub for them to stop on their I campaign know, trail. I think I saw yesterday that that Rick Perry's headed down next. Yeah, he's going to Mission next week. Um, as we know in our story too, you talked to Republicans down there. They're they're getting excited. They're hearing that Marco Rubio's people are trying to set up a fundraiser down there. Boy, they're going to um, have a lot of visitors. Scott Walker was there, you know, a few months ago, maybe two months ago, when Governor Abbott. Uh, took them on a tour of the border. Um, so, yeah, they're getting a lot of attention, more so than they're used to. Yeah. Um, I mean, is this was this a symbolic move for Cruz because of some of the flack he's taken for not having made many visits down there? That, that may be it. I mean, he did point out, you know, I asked him at the the, the press conference, I said, um, you know, do you? this is a part of the country that presidential candidates, especially Republicans in a primary season, don't typically feel the need to pay a lot of attention to. Do you think that needs to change for 2016? And he said, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then he reminded all of, all of the reporters yeah. that he has been to South Texas. I don't know if Ten the, the times Valley. or something? Yeah. Ten times since he started running for Senate. Which is a now, while ago now. It's yeah. three year, more than three years ago. Um, and I think the number he number of trips since he took office is, clo- is three or four, maybe. Mm-hmm. This might have been his fourth or fifth. I just wonder uh, if that criticism is more effective in a statewide race than a national race. I think, you know, people yeah. across the country see him as a senator from a border state and going to the border yeah. 10 times to yeah, someone right. in <laughs> Iowa or New Hampshire or something probably sounds like a lot. Yeah. I yeah. think for, for all these Republican candidates, visiting the Valley at this point is still an, an optical calculation or a symbolic calculation more than a practical calculation. I mean, yes, he went down there to raise money, but I think it's it's more of a trip just built around being visible in this area and showing people that you're involved in this this immigration and border security. Exactly. Right. However, you know, some people may think it's hollow, but, you know, they 
Right. And I do think I do think you're right, Matthew, about it being a, that being a bigger issue for a statewide candidate. You know, I mean, if you look at the amount of the number of times Cornyn has been down to the border, it's it's huge over his tenure tenure. But, you know, we talk to the national media from time to time and they're like, oh, could you guys just like pop down to the border to help us out with something? And we're <laughs> like, yeah, you understand that's like a, you know, well, Patrick did it until like three thirty this morning, a fi- five hour, six hour drive. So it is long, yeah. an enormous state. Well, so. You know, Rick Perry, with his announcement, has been getting a, a lot of the press and a little bit of a bump lately. Does that mean anything for Ted Cruz? Are his numbers still, you know, quite a bit stronger than Perry's, or is there some some wiggle room there? I think they're actually kind of paving, at least based on published reports that I've seen in the recent weeks, they're kind of paving different paths, I think, to the nomination. You see Perry starting out, and, you know, over the past several months, he's had an intense focus on the early voting states, traveling to Iowa more than any other candidate. Um, and I think the other probably other states more than any other potential or declared candidate. And then you have Cruz, who is naming uh, state chairman in, in, in New Jersey, California, Michigan. He's traveling to some of those states where he's naming uh, state chairman. And so you see Cruz, you know, looking beyond the early voting states, um, trying to signal that, you know, he, he'd be happy with just, you know, finishing, doing well in those states and building, a, I guess, a, a longer game strategy. And again, that, that kind of contrast, at least at this point with Perry, who is all about Iowa, all about New Hampshire. But right. you look at, like, who's won Iowa in past election cycles, and they don't become the eventual nominee. So it's an interesting, you know, he's playing the long game in Iowa, where it seems like Cruz is playing right. the long game. It seems like maybe he should be playing the long game in yeah, South Carolina or, you know, spending more time <laughs> thinking about some of those those future states um, than, you know, than purely Iowa. So. All right. Well, back home in the Texas Capitol, uh, we've wrapped up our legislative session. Uh, it appears that Greg Abbott is not going to be calling them back for any particular reason. Um, we had uh, Joe Strauss, the Speaker of the House at the Austin Club yesterday uh, with Evan Smith, just uh, chatting about the session that was. Uh, Matthew, what were the big takeaways? I mean, what what were the big accomplishments that he was touting from the session? He seemed pretty low key. Yeah, I mean, I think maybe the big takeaway is that he wasn't touting a lot of big accomplishments. You know, talking with Evan, it was almost kind of like watching like a, a teenager talk to his mom. You know, how was your day at school? Fine. You know, he, he didn't <laughs> yeah. say like a lot. Evan of, called him out on that. Yeah, day. exactly. Yeah. He, well, he, now, to be fair, he was stuck talking to Evan Yeah, Smith. exactly. That yeah. may have been more just not wanting to be there. <laughs> right. But, um, you know, he it seemed like it, there was a big contrast in – um, his level in, of enthusiasm compared to Dan Patrick's. Um, you know, you, you hear Dan Patrick saying, you know, this was the most conservative uh, let, uh, session of, in the Senate's history and, and really fired up about the things they did. And, and uh, Strauss seemed to be, you know, you ask him about the tax, uh, tax cuts that were made, and he said, well, it wasn't exactly what I wanted. You ask him about um, a whole bunch of different things, and, and that was kind of his... Uh, you know, some even even things that originated from the House. You know, he he never didn't necessarily want to take credit for it or 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 brag about it and, and things like that. And um, I think he does have like a, a totally different style from Dan Patrick in that regard. You know, it's this will be his, what was this was this just fourth term? So he's running. He'll be yeah. running for his yeah, fifth. You know, Dan Patrick has a lot to prove. Right? It's his first session. Um, he is you know outspoken and sort of gregarious and wants to make sure you know he's putting his stamp on the legislature. His first session. Strauss has always been one of these guys who's like you know the will of the house, the will of the house, sort of soft spoken. I mean, it's even hard to hear him. We were talking about it in yeah. a room like that. Um, you know, I think. There's a different tone as far as credit 
is concerned. But I think, you know, he spent the first half of the interview pretty tempered. And then things got, you know, a little bit um, more interesting. You know, he waded into into the ethics and dark money issues some. Do you recall uh, some of his remarks around dark money, what mm-hmm. his particular approach was? Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he just said, uh, <laughs> from what I recall, he yeah. said he's just generally for immediate disclosure, right? unlimited donations, immediate disclosure. Which puts um, him at odds with, you know, with the governor, which puts him at odds with a whole heck of a lot of people. The yeah. Supreme Court. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Um, well, generally, I mean, that's what you, Governor Perry actually was asked about this on the trail a few months ago, maybe. And he said the same exact thing. Mm-hmm. I know, obviously, Governor Perry opposes the dark money situation mm-hmm. based on his, his veto record here right. in Texas. Um, but the, the broad sentiment, I don't think, is too foreign to, to Republicans. Um, but when you throw in that dark money component, there's, mm-hmm. you know, obviously, there's going to be a schism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he also, I thought, a very interesting just kind of a side comment when, when the American Phoenix, he brought up the American Phoenix. <laughs> oh, yeah. And what did he call them? Like unattractive, unattractive people, people with cameras or something <laughs> yeah, right. like that. I know. Half the press corps. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I know. It's a little bit close to home. Those are secret cameras, though. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I was, I was struck when the conversation turned to ethics. And in particular, you know, there was this, he mentioned this bill that made its way out of the House that was sort of for more robust financial disclosure. The problem is that bill got amended in the Senate by Joan, Senator Joan Huffman to include like a huge loophole that now you no longer have to report sort of the assets of spouses. Um, and Strauss interestingly said, you know, that basically that it was news to him. He didn't, you know, Evan said, what about the spousal loophole? And he said, you know, explain it to me. He it, said, you know, what, yeah. what's that? Um, and Evan explained it to him, and he said, oh, well, you know, that's not something that I would be for, um, you know, unfortunately. If only Evan it, could explain every proposal to <laughs> yeah, right. elected officials. Unfortunately, <laughs> now it's the law. Right, exactly. Um, one other uh, fight that, that Strauss mentioned was this GOP uh, debate over union dues and, and trying to ensure employees in Texas basically couldn't do that without with direct deposit anymore. Um, there is he, he said this sort of choice line. Todd, let's go ahead and just um, play that one quickly. With that union dues bill, that was the poorest job of lobbying that I've seen. I don't know about you, but the first time I even knew that bill existed was when I read an editorial in the Wall Street Journal. Came over from the Senate very late in the session in a form that Chairman Cook said was very flawed. Um, But, you know, at the end of a session, we send each other big flaming bags of junk. So, I mean, to say that something was like a a horrific lobbying effort is a pretty strong statement from the House Speaker, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, he he referenced the Wall Street uh, Journal editorial. This is the first time he heard about it. I mean, we know in the past on issues related to the regions, for example, I mean, there, there's certainly some kind of de facto pneumatic tube between some activists in the state and the Wall Street Journal editorial board. Right. And so um, I think he's familiar with that uh, that approach by, by some of the antagonists, his antagonists outside the Capitol. Yeah. I think we've already seen kind of the the beginnings of the primary season start to shake up too. And a lot of the the kind of call on the uh, movement conservative side, some of these people that are going to try to unseat some of these uh, House Republicans is that, you know, they purposefully killed these bills. And to be able to to kind of pass that blame to say he hadn't even heard of it until late in the session and things like that, I think gives him, you know, is is it kind of an early attempt to kind of beat down that narrative? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I mean, you know, if... Look, if something's not even coming up, if something's not even getting oxygen until the end of the session, that's a pretty big sign that people weren't taking it seriously at the, from the beginning of the session. So I think it's easy. You know, the the social conservatives have been really quick, like like Evan was saying yesterday at this Trib Live to or tri, Trib event. Sorry, um, mm-hmm. you know, he was saying that that 
everybody's quick to blame things on Joe Strauss. Like, oh, you know, there's a, a toilet leaking in the Capitol. That's jo- on Joe Strauss. Mm-hmm. I think this was a good attempt um, and, and an effective attempt by Joe Strauss to say, like, you guys wanted this. Why is the first that we're hearing of it in a Wall Street Journal article? Yeah, I will say I, as a reporter, I heard about I heard some rumblings about it much mm-hmm. earlier in the session because I know that the Texas Republican Party was it was a priority of mm-hmm. theirs. And so it wasn't the first time I heard about it. But if it's the first time that Joe Strauss heard about it, then, you know, that could be a problem. Right. And Amanda, he had this line about, you know, the chambers at the end of the session sort of send each other flaming bags of junk, which was his euphemism, <laughs> not mine. Um, and, you know, I, I do think that's a good point. You start to get to the end of se- the session and the, the chambers just start throwing stuff at each other, being like, you know, oh, God, we all, we're running out of time. Like, maybe this will stick. Maybe we can get this, you know, anti-gay marriage bill through. Maybe we can get this, you know, abortion legislation through. It's like things start getting sort of shoved over to the other chamber that isn't really ready to go, you know, just in the last ditch effort to say we've tried to pass something. So, I mean, you know, he was asked um, about, Strauss was asked about his relationship with Dan Patrick, and I thought there were some sort of, some funny exchanges there, Um, you know, particularly one about... um, Strauss saying, you know, we're we're friends. We sat in the airport together and like yeah. what watched the Spurs or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I thought his his comment something about uh, like I can't remember exactly what he said, but we've had a few heated things, especially early. Oh, in the we're morning. cranky. Like, yeah. 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 We're cranky yeah. early in the morning. Yeah, which was a reference to uh, the and sort the of the breakfast, the breakfast yeah. blow up that those guys had. Yeah. So, but did he acknowledge it all? I mean, you heard in the the final days and weeks of the session, all these conference committees, especially with the budget, and everything seemed to go with the Senate's initial plan. Was there any sense of a defeat or anything like that in in his interview? I don't think so. There, like, like I said earlier, there was the the lack of kind of triumphantness. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Although I don't think I've ever seen Joe Strauss exactly. triumphant. So that yeah. might have been yeah, yeah. more of a yeah. personality thing. Than I mean, uh, yeah. Else, but I think if you listen to kind of the things that have come out from the House and the Senate, you know, there have been some people. Um, especially these people kind of looking towards the primary who, who have tried to argue that this wasn't as conservative a session as they would have liked to hope. But when you kind of break down the bills, and especially in the budget, kind of the big kind of source of tension this session, it does seem like the Senate got its way a little bit more than the House did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If, if there was a triumph for George Strauss... On the high-profile yeah, high measures. Border them, security, yeah. 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 I would say that, I mean, and you hear him use the, t- the term thoughtful a lot, and I think he's just generally proud, as he has been in past sessions, based on, on what I've heard from him, um, that the House was a place where things were actually uh, deliberated at length. He, the, the, imp- the subtext of that always is more so than in the Senate, at least based on the conversation I heard yesterday. And so if there's any triumph to him, I feel like he was just very proud of, of that. Which is interesting because then you have people like Representative Patricia Harless who said, you know, this week yeah. that she's not running for mm-hmm. re-election and she's not running for re-election largely because she thinks there's such a, you know, nasty fissure in the Republican Party in the House that is just like not, you know, not a fun place to be anymore. That if you work across the aisle, it's a bad thing. Yeah, right. Which is interesting given that, you know, Strauss's quote unquote triumph that we're talking about is, you know, being so proud of how well the House He said works the culture. Together. He's proud of the culture in right. the House. And what Representative Harless said seems to, you know, undermine that. Yeah. She's one one member, obviously, but right. But you know, we've heard it from other mm-hmm. from other members, and that's when he too. brought up the the American Phoenix guys, the the unattractive, the unattractive with, cameras. <laughs> um, with cameras. people with cameras. Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah I right. Take a little offense to that <laughs> as the camera gal here. You, you don't count, Alana. Yeah. You're the most attractive person with a camera. <laughs> Shucks. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, you know, we had uh, Dan Patrick saying he gave this session an A minus. I think was his grade. Um, there are folks who are on his, you know, sort of advisory committees, uh, and especially social conservatives who are not 
nearly uh, that glowing with their praise. I mean, where's where's the divide there between, you know, some of these interest groups and, and how does this bleed into primary season? I mean, I don't know. I'm not surprised that his, you know, people on his advisory panel um, are not, you know, jumping for joy at this session. I mean, and for him, it's a pretty easy way to say, look, I didn't surround myself with a bunch of yes men, like he's, I think he said in the interview. So I think politically for Dan Patrick, it's not necessarily a problem at this point. Um, you know, I mean, th- those people on that panel are, are still big Dan Patrick fans, and, and, you know, he's kept open lines of communication with them, and so they don't feel like they're left out of the equation. Mm-hmm. Um, but they know they're playing a role. They, they, they're happy to play the role of keeping his feet to the fire. Um, right. Well, they've also gone to, to Greg Abbott and said, you know, we demand a special session yeah. on, you know, uh, anti-gay marriage legislation. And he's basically said, yeah, no, yeah. thanks. Well, we, started, we started seeing, I mean, <laughs> they got their job done. Yeah. Yeah, right. some of these early primary challengers looking at the emails they're sending out to supporters, you're starting to see, a, you know, a bit of what their referendum on the session is. You know, uh, Beau French, the guy who's running against um, Charlie Guerin, you know, he sent down an email on the, a few days after the session was over and saying, yeah, it was an all right session. Here are four issues where, you know, they didn't get things done that we wanted them to. And I think he, he brought up anti-abortion legislation. He brought up the union dues legislation. So, yeah, you definitely start to see that primary conversation take shape and where the contours of it may be. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things that Strauss said also um, was that you don't have to be in the House to kind of be fighting for that vision of cooperation and working across the aisle. I mean, do you see any kind of a, we already saw it in the Rinaldi race up in DFW, right? Do do you see any kind of, you know, quote unquote, establishment Republican attempt to kind of retake some of the ground that they've lost? I think so far, the only example of that is the, the Rinaldi race, perhaps. Mm-hmm. I mean, if um, the other Ratliff gets involved in the Eltife race, then I guess you'd have that, but that's less certain, mm-hmm. I think, at this point. Yeah, I mean, and they had a pretty good session. Again, they got no anti-gay marriage legislation. The abortion legislation that passed this session was pretty minimal. You know, on the sort of social issues stuff, you know. You mean a good session for the more moderate? For the more, yeah. yeah, more moderate wing of the party. I mean, the the really, the vouchers, you know, we didn't see anything with regards right. to vouchers. No uh, repeal of in-state tuition for, for undocumented students. I mean, on those kinds of like super red meat issues, issues, there really wasn't that much traction. It was so, a conservative session, I think. Yeah. I mean, I think they can argue that, but maybe sure, they more got on open the... carry and campus carry. Right. And some totally. of those yeah. not issues didn't even make it through the, the House. They didn't even make it to the, the I'm sorry, yeah, didn't maybe. Make it to the Senate. Senate. Yeah. The yeah. Senate was the yeah. more, uh, you know, quote unquote, more conservative chambers. You know, that so. was in the beginning. That was going to that was kind of seen as mm-hmm. the incubator of some of those red hot topics. Right. And they didn't make it there. Well, the most newsworthy part of the uh, Joe Strauss interview to me was what he brought with him to Vanderbilt University. Oh, yeah. Again, <laughs> right? Uh, which he sort of just dropped into conversation. You know, we're talking about cam- his sort of, <laughs> you know, tempered support of campus carry. He was like, "Well, I brought a gun with me to uh, to, to college, which yeah. we now know is yeah." Uh, I've been to Nashville. It's a very welcoming city. (laughs) (laughs) Patrick's packing heat on his way to Nashville. All right. Well, if you have questions or comments, uh, email them to Tribcast at TexasTribune.org. You can now also sign up for Tribcast alerts at TexasTribune.org slash Tribcast. We'd like to thank Shiny Ribs for doing our music. And on behalf of Matthew, Alana, Patrick, and our producer, Todd, this is Emily. Thanks for listening. Texas talking. Guns, grass, weed, and gas. Guns, grass, oil, and gas.